Good evening, my fellow Sith brothers and sisters, purebloods, cultists, rebel scum, on the run, but most importantly, you, my fellow Star Wars fans, to another edition of My Life on Exegol. Sorry for the few-week hiatus. Work has been very chaotic. We've had quite a few out sick that's put a lot of stress and pressure on those of us who aren't sick at work trying to avoid all of the chaos so I appreciate everybody being so patient with me I wanted to record my Bad Batch Season 3 discussion before continuing Ahsoka while everything is still really hot and relevant. I actually started a Season 1 rewatch this afternoon and I just... Seeing Star Wars Twitter light up with all the excitement for the new series, I definitely find myself wanting to go back and just really enjoy the journey we've been on with the show. I would probably put Bad Batch right underneath Rebels for my favorite animated series. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get us started with Bad Batch Season 3 beginning with Episode 1. Now, Wednesday, when the three episodes dropped, I watched the tail end of season two, the finale, thinking it would just start right into one, two, three of season three. Not the case. Somehow, it skipped over episode one, went right into two and three, and I'm like, that's only two episodes, where's the third one? Yeah, I kind of watched out of order a little bit because I didn't quite understand who Batcher was. Oh, I was just like, damn it. Oh, well. Anyways, episode one titled Confined is the longer of the three episodes that dropped this week by a few minutes, 33 minutes. And it really sets up the next couple of episodes that we watch and the beginning is definitely something you have to kind of pay attention to just because you witness a shuttle crashing in sector four just outside of what we now know is Dr. Hemlock's base of operations. Dr. Hemlock actually refuses a backup order and the troopers are kind of left to fend for themselves. And of course, even though the few of them survive the crash, you hear one of them say something about the cre- the types of creatures that roam those woods. We join up with Omega, greeted by Emery, saying that she feels like a prisoner. 
As she's following behind Emery to go get to work, she passes Crosshair, who doesn't pay her any attention. Helping Emery in the lab collect samples from some of the other clones, Emery asks Omega for a sample. And while Emery is taking a sample, Omega asks her, can you at least tell me where my brothers are? And Emery tells her that she does not know. And she also asks Emery why, you know, she never saw her on Camino. Emery says that she didn't know that she was sent elsewhere. And eventually Dr. Hemlock took her under his wing. We notice if you pay very close attention... Emery puts Omega's sample separate in the tray from the others and sends her to Nalasei in a different lab. When Omega gets there, Nalasei scans the tray. And makes a comment to Omega about her sample being taken. She deletes it from the computer. And then you see her kind of toss it down into this burn destroy bin down towards the bottom. And Nalase tells her to tell no one that it's safer this way. Omega very quickly deduces that this research that they're doing here is not like the research they were doing on Camino. Dr. Hemlock actually interrupts the reunion between Nalase and Omega, having Nalase follow him to the vault. Apparently, their work there is trying to replicate an M count high enough. And somehow in passing in that conversation, something about who they were actually testing... That answer was not clear other than the fact that it apparently was not clones. We then find Omega continuing the rest of her tasks. She is feeding some lurker hounds. Takes a cluster of straw off the ground and she goes to the very last cage where we meet Batcher. First I heard Betcher, but I think that was just the accent. It's Batcher. Apparently Batcher won't eat the dry food that they're being given, so she offers Batcher some of her food and promises to bring more tomorrow. She stops by to visit Crosshair, To tell him that she, uh, 
she's trying to work on planning an escape. Crosshair and her kind of go back and forth between trusting too easily and not trusting enough. And he asks her to go before things get worse for the both of them. When Omega gets back to her little room, we see her making notches on the wall and we see 21 of them. She eats and holds on to what looks like she made a straw tuca doll. Or Tula doll. The following day, Omega's routine as usual, passing crosshair on the way to Emery's lab. Emery takes a, one of an, a sample from Omega. Nalase destroys it. She visits Batcher, who appears hurt. And she calls the K9X1 droid to help. And he makes a comment that he's not a medical droid. And that this creature, apparently, if the creature does not heal, is scheduled to be terminated. So Omega goes and runs to grab the first aid kit off the wall. And puts some kind of antiseptic treatment on the cut. This time when she visits Crosshair after completing all her tasks. She's going on about how she managed to save Batcher. Batcher didn't bite her. And Crosshair immediately terminates the conversation asking her. What is exactly is your primary objective? And she says it is to escape. Crosshair says that she's too distracted. That he wouldn't think twice about leaving her behind. Of course, she calls him out on this comment. Promising that she won't leave him. And then finally he hollers out to her. Don't risk anything for me. I'm where I belong. And she says that none of them belong there. The next morning, Omega faces a surprise inspection of her fairly bare room. Her doll is confiscated and Emery chastises her for having personal items and confiscates the doll. Apparently, the conversation in Nalase's lab takes a different direction this time. Dr. Hemlock interrupts and 
informs that obviously this successful M count transfer experiment that they're working on, if it is in fact considered a failure, he will have to reconsider the freedoms to his her young assistant. And that's where we are informed that the emperor apparently is coming. The next day, Omega goes to visit Betcher, or Batcher, sorry. Batcher is fully healed. However, the K-droid comes over and says that the creature has been deemed a liability and is scheduled to be terminated anyway. Omega manages to take something or push a button that triggers something falling down from overhead crushing the K-droid. However, security's already been called. Omega tells Batcher to run and ends up freeing Batcher. First, Batcher refuses to go without Omega, and Omega's like, I can't leave yet. I've got to get crosshair. And Batcher runs off. Dr. Hemlock finally busts her. Asking her if it was a wise decision. There are creatures in the jungle. And Omega domesticating that creature puts the creature's life at risk. Thinking that, okay, you think you spared the creature by releasing her. But you, in fact, ended up putting her in more danger. Releasing her into the wild. Not necessarily telling Omega what else is out there. Omega is immediately confined or conscripted to her room and threatens Omega even further. Obviously, Omega being there is enabling Nala Say to cooperate. However, he can't necessarily hurt Omega, but he can find other people to hurt to punish Omega for what she did. So he threatens to take out punishment on Crosshair for what she did, reminding her that actions have consequences. Later that evening, she's sitting in her room by herself, very sad, and Emery returns the doll to her. In the distance, we hear Batcher howling, so I guess there's some comfort knowing that at least Batcher is free and okay for right now. Moving on to episode two, Paths Unknown, which runs roughly 27 minutes. We see a captain being questioned in front of the syndicate being accused of conspiracy. And he is killed. The next people up to see her is Hunter and Wrecker, who bring in a pike. Who apparently disgraced this family. And removed any trace of their involvement. And the only reason Hunter and Wrecker are there right now is because the son managed to convince her that she should hear what they have to say. He 
I didn't quite catch what the son's name was, but if I heard correctly, the woman sitting on the throne of the syndicate is Duran. I believe if that's the name that I heard correctly. Hunter and Wrecker apparently returned one of the son's broken horns. Now, in one of my Old Republic books, one of the species were very similar to this. Similar with a broken horn, it does bring disgrace to your species. And I don't remember offhand what that species is, but I have encountered that at least once before in my Old Republic reading. In agreement for bringing the syndicate, this pike, they've requested intel of Dr. Hemlock's whereabouts, which the son comes over and presents to them. Gives them a data pad or a data disk, and there's questions as to whether or not the information was unverified. Hunter and Wrecker are quickly sent away. Back on the Marauder, Wrecker informs Hunter that Echo and Rex can be there in two rotations at the coordinates. Hunter says that they can't wait that long. They need to go and get Omega back. And Wrecker reminds him that the last time they stormed an Imperial base without backup, they all didn't make it out okay. Hunter is insistent that they go anyway. We see them on a, what almost reminds me of Endor a little bit. When they land and they're out on the ground walking through the forest, can't tell if their sensors are being jammed. However, they do very quickly reach what appeared to be a base at one point. However, it appears obliterated by a orbital bombardment, a.k.a. Death Star. Hunter still wants to go check out the base. And there's questions or concerns as to whether or not Omega may have been there when the orbital bombardment happened. They don't know that, but they're going to go down and check out and see what they can find out. However, they quickly discover that they're not alone, and they encounter two regs. I do like this little motto that Wrecker points out when the two boys, they are also clones from Camino. Uh, they don't necessarily look like, they look a lot more like a young Boba Fett than they do, uh, Jango Fett, I guess because of the age that they're at. But I do like, one of the boys quickly points out that they're 99s, and Wrecker says, defective and effective. I, that, that's gotta be, uh, yeah. I, like I said, I, I love Bad Batch so much because I like that 
It gives you a different point of view to think about going on during the Clone Wars and just everything with the fallout on everything. I enjoy the vantage point so much of the 99s and just the clone troopers in general. Uh, but the defective and effective definitely is a fantastic motto that I see going very far in this series. Continuing on, Hunter, at first, the boys are trying to figure out if they work for the Empire and that if whether or not they were sent to look for the boys and very quickly dispel, do we look like we work for the Empire? And they so they ask why they're here. Hunter informs them that they were looking for a young girl. The two boys say they weren't aware of there being any girl, but said that this other guy, Mox, may know. Apparently, there's a third boy somewhere. So, they decide to go take the 99s to see Mox and just tell them, stick to the trail, don't touch the vines. We find out that the boys were also Camino transfers who were... Rather than being soldiers, they were tested on and experimented on and eventually became prisoners instead. Hunter and Wrecker also informed the boys that Omega's part of their squad. And that's why they're determined to find her. There's a little incident in the woods with Wrecker and the Vines. And interestingly enough, after Hunter manages to free Wrecker from the vines, the boys inform the two that they are Slither vines. They were a Empire experiment, and eventually the Empire lost control of it. You see these vines all over the place. And it only gets worse the closer you get to and eventually inside this base. We finally meet up with the third boy, Mox, who informs Hunter and Wrecker that they were the only escapees and survivors of the bombardment. And wondering if there is intel inside the base, one of the boys speaks up and says on one of their last scout missions there happened to be a single control panel still intact so hunter and wrecker of course want to go check it out but the boy mox is like this is a suicide mission you can't it, it you're not going to make it there the slither vines get worse pretty much preventing you from getting to this control pad One of the boys offers to help Hunter and Wrecker instead. So as they're making their way towards the base, the boy brings up needing a power supply to power up the control panel. Hunter and Wrecker go to the Marauder, and Wrecker has Gonk strapped onto his back like a freaking backpack upside down. <laughs> So it's so damn funny the whole time to the base you hear gonk gonk. You know, he's sitting there with little feet kicked up and oh, it's fucking funny. Um, 
We eventually learn that the boy helping them is Deke, if I heard correctly. As they approach the base and get inside, the boy gets stuck in slither vines. Hunter manages to free the boy. Now, the slither vines here actually mutate, and we see these alien-like creatures morphing out of these pieces of vine and creeping creeping about so I was like oh the ones in the forest didn't really do that the two boys who stayed behind including Mox Mox wants to take the ship and leave whereas the other boy says that there's something about these two 99s that he respects and their commitment to finding this missing friend of theirs. That's a part of their group. The boy not wanting to take the ship and leave, however, does say to Mox, show me. Show, let's go check out the ship. Deke, Wrecker, and Hunter manage to get to the control panel. Wrecker plugs in Gonk. The boy, Deke, says, give me some time. I can get, I can see what information I can receive. And then they're kind of on top of this chemical water waste. And we see these, it's almost, it reminds me of a scene from Lord of the Rings when they're standing there in front of the Mines of Moria, except it's not this giant octopus these larger like tentacle leg vine things poking out of the water starts attacking them while they're trying to break into this control panel and Deke finally hollers through his comms trying to say that they need help and makes a distress call to the two boys unbeknownst to the three of them there at the base that Mox and the other boy were actually inside the Marauder. The two boys, including Mox, end up flying to the base and helping rescue Wrecker, Hunter, Gonk, and Deke. And coming up from... The um, I don't even know what you want to call it. I mean, I, closest thing I can think of to it is almost like a swamp. Like I said, it's this chemical swamp, whatever's down under there. It's definitely not just water. That's for damn sure. Um, but it reminds me of the sandworm from freaking dune just completely comes up out of the water of course throwing one or two explosives is not enough so hunter hollers for them to grab the case they throw a case of explosives down in the mouth of this thing 
and one more explosive to set it off. And finally, the creature trying to pull them back down onto the ground finally gets destroyed. And the th- and everybody manages to fly off and away in the Marauder. Hunter goes up to Wrecker, who's apparently carrying on with the three boys, saying that he's managed to dissect some of the data. Hemlock did, in fact, transfer his base of operations as well as his experiments. There's a sector mentioned, but it's enough information for them to go off of and start looking for Omega. Hunter offers to drop the boys off on an island where they'll be safe and can find their own way. And Hunter says that their mission's not over yet. Lastly, moving on to the final episode of the evening. Episode 3, Shadows of Tantis, also 27 minutes. We see Omega going through her normal routine. This time, we see a mystery person wearing a helmet and very dark, different kind of trooper clothing. Can't really tell if it's a trooper or a bounty hunter. But there's been a lot of conspiracy theories as to who this mystery person is watching Crosshair walk into the base or walking around standing in front of the elevator. My money is on tech. It would make the most sense because of the cliffhanger from episode two, or from, excuse me, from season two. We don't actually see, we see tech fall. We don't know if he survived it. There are plenty of Star Wars characters who've been brought back from worse And knowing how sick and twisted Dr. Hemlock is and what the hell he's doing there on Tantus, you can't tell me Tech is not alive. My money is on, they are going to, pardon my language, fucking tease us the entire season as to who this mystery person is, only to rub it in our face that it's Tech the whole time. They tried to reprogram Crosshair in Season 1 with the inhibitor chip. My money is on tech. Now, I've seen people make wild claims that it's Cal Kestis, Dark Ezra. I mean, someone even said it was Thrawn. I mean, Star Wars Twitter's like losing their shit over trying to figure out this mystery person, but... Like I said, my money is the one part. It makes the most sense. It, if it's not tech, then then who else could it be? I mean, I don't think... It just it doesn't make sense for it to be... Boba Fett or like... It, it, Anybody other than tech just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, which is one of the reasons why I did an, a started another rewatch to see if there's anybody else kind of fitting the description that it could be um, inside the uh, 
in like kind of hanging around them in the earlier season. Like I said, money's on tech. Anyways, enough with the mystery person. Omega notices something different at the base in the heavy trooper presence, and she asks Emery what's going on. Emery, of course, says she doesn't know and is only informed if it's something that involves her work. Dr. Hemlock comes in, informing Emery that there's an unexpected guest coming and that she will be in charge of the lab. And while he and Nala say are indisposed with their guest. Nala say is a little reluctant on this and is like, mm, I'm quite capable of taking care of things when I get back. She's afraid of this next conversation that we hear with Omega and Nala say. Nala say warns her that if her sample is tested, she is in great danger. She tells her that she needs to flee the facility. Something about project and she's kind of cut off while Dr. Hemlock's trying to call her to let's go. She says, finally under her breath, go to the lab, use her data pad to escape. We see Emery loading Omega's sample. Omega is now just hanging out in the lab. You can tell that she's deciding whether or not to, if it's safe to enact this plan or not. Emery immediately starts asking her questions whether or not she's feeling okay. Rather than continuing her tasks, informs her to go get some rest. And when Omega leaves the lab, she manages to swipe Nalase's data pad. Finally, the man of the hour, Emperor Palpatine himself, lands on Tantus. And we hear Dr. Hemlock bringing him up to speed as to what's been going on. How they've quadrupled their objective. How the exotic matter facility has expanded for testing of larger assets. And even though Palpatine expresses interest and appreciates Hemlock's enthusiasm, that's not actually why he apparently is there. And Dr. Hemlock, we hear for the first time, Project Necromancer, which apparently is what's in this vault that we've seen a couple times already. Now, there are a couple theories as to obviously having seen all the movies and knowing that we are literally bridging the gap between the OG trilogy and the sequel trilogy right now. We know the First Order is eventually coming. Now... Project Necromancer, of course. And this is just me kind of thinking out loud with the name. 
Palpatine has been searching for this whole time a viable candidate to pass himself on to so he can survive. I think that's exactly what this is. Now, we don't actually... get a look at anything really inside whatever's inside of these things that we see I have theories on that but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself while Hemlock's taking Palpatine around the vault Omega manages to get to Crosshair telling him that they need to escape now and that she's improvising she tells Crosshair to get the guard's attention. She manages to unlock his cell. He takes out the few guards. As they're moving around the base, they overhear a couple troopers walking by saying that the Emperor's here. And Crosshair immediately tells Omega that this was a bad day to try and plan an escape. Omega notices his handshakes have been getting worse. Also discovers on the data pad that all the shuttles have been grounded except the Emperor's. And she's like, well, why don't we've got to go steal his shuttle? Crosshair immediately says that's a bad idea. She very quickly remembers that there was a crash shuttle just outside the base. Back in the vault with Project ne Necromancer, Dr. Hemlock tells Palpatine that the specimens have been very well guarded. And Doc uh, grants Dr. Hemlock full resources or whatever he needs to continue this important work that he's doing. Now, we see him open up one of these chambers but you don't actually see what's inside there are a couple theories I have as to what Palpatine's looking at actually inside of there it's either another him or it's a Snoke those are my theories The fact that they've been talking about trying to replicate a viable candidate with a with a M count equivalent. My guess is that obviously they're trying to compare and they're taking all these samples from everybody because they're trying to compare it to Palpatine's. Now I don't necessarily recall. I'm sure it's somewhere deep in my reading that I haven't gotten to yet. But I would imagine Palpatine's midichlorian count is fairly high. I would think that's exactly what they're trying to do there on Tantus. Is find a viable host to help clone Palpatine. And help him survive. That's what I think. Again. Project Necromancer. Think about it. If you flip in. Let's, let's Google. Let's Google this shall we. 
what is a necromancer? It's a person, let's see, conjuration of spirits of the dead for purposes of magically revealing the future or influencing the courses of events. Think about it. Think about it. It makes sense. That's what it is. Anyways. Omega and Crosshair manage to make it to the kennels. Emery finds them and tries to stop them. Instead, Crosshair stuns her and they escape using uh, Batcher's kennel or using the kill chute. However, they have to hurry because it involves ray shields trying to escape before the ray shields are activated. Palpatine, as he's walking out towards his shuttle in his conversation with Dr. Hemlock, says that it's very important that this base here on Tantus remain hidden and secure. And he says that many in their ranks would agree that what Dr. Hemlock is doing there to be an abomination. And of course, Dr. Hemlock gets a little egotistical saying something about wanting to become the scientific administrator and Palpatine says, hey, all in due time. It reminds me of the scene with Vader and Director Krennic in Rogue One. Now, an interesting comment I saw on Twitter earlier, somebody asking, do you think Vader would have been aware of this Project Necromancer? And I think quite simply, the answer to that would be no. Think about it. The next most powerful person to Palpatine at this time would be Vader. Would be his right hand, correct? Correct? I would bet my life on it that that would be the last person... Palpatine would tell because even though Palpatine to a certain degree trusts Vader, he also doesn't trust Vader because he see he's he's this all-seeing, all-knowing. He hell, look what he did to rise to power. He knows what Vader is capable of. I don't think anybody but him and Dr. Hemlock and even Nala say for helping him, my money would be that that's the only people that actually know. I think even the people guarding the outside of the vault, I don't think they even know what they're guarding other than the fact that it's top secret. And I don't think they even know what they're guarding. But I I would stake my life on the fact that I don't think Vader would know about this because, quite frankly, now, I don't know 
all the wheelings and dealings of Vader at this time. I'm definitely nowhere near there in my reading, but I I have heard the bits and pieces of uh, Vader 2015, which I started to read, and how Palpatine apparently at the time didn't trust him. And, of course, that's when Vader got an apprentice, Starkiller, so... Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he does. Omega and Crosshair manage to escape the facility. And as conveniently enough as Palpatine is leaving the base, the alarms start going off and Hemlock's informed of Omega and Crosshair missing. That an alarm was activated in the kennels. Hemlock immediately calls for the base to be sealed off Omega tries to use the data pad to track the shuttle Hemlock has the lurker hounds released Dr. Hemlock has Emery return to the lab and has Nala say secured in a cell. And a recovery team scrambled to go after Omega and Crosshair. As Omega trips out in the woods, we see this bear-tiger hybrid thing manage to fend off the lurker hounds, actually manages to protect them, and they continue to run towards where the crash shuttle is in the woods. However, once they reach the crash shuttle, the comms are dead, and Crosshair informs that they're coming. You see a couple of troop carriers now landing not far from where they are, and Crosshair immediately puts into plan, uh, asks Omega if she remembers Plan 72, and she's like, of course, Tech had me memorize all of them. They're kind of hiding and ducking in and out of the trees, triggering a repeat fire that's bouncing off the trees and kind of going after these troopers that have been sent to look after them. And eventually we see Batcher come to the rescue. Omega's very happy to see Batcher. Omega manages to get inside of one of the shuttles and takes it over. Crosshair ends up making it onto there. He takes over the pilot seat while she is down below firing so that way they're able to pull away. She calls for Betcher to join them. As they're trying to fly off... Dr. Hemlock in the command center obviously informed that they've managed to steal one of the shuttles. So we see four fighters scramble to go after them. This whole time, Emery in the lab is doing her work. And all of a sudden, one of her machines starts going off. And it would appear that one of the samples have finally proved to be a match. 
kind of immediately suspect whose sample that is. Just as Dr. Hemlock's about to call for the fighters to shoot them down, Emery comes bursting into the lab telling Dr. Hemlock to call them off that we need her alive, that she's a, that that they've finally found a match. And at first, Dr. Hemlock thinks Emery's referring to crosshair. He's like, oh, I thought we tested him and he wasn't. It's like, no, it's Omega. He very quickly but reluctantly calls them off. Crosshair and Omega manage to make the jump into hyperspace and refers to this as only a minor setback and says now that he's got the full resources of the Empire, finding her should be very easy. Now, I... I loved probably one of my favorite scenes so far occurred in this last episode. And of course, with the arrival of Palpatine, that scene of him arriving in just the monotone color, but the two Imperial Guards, that stark red. Ugh. I want to find a picture of that. That that scene was it was a beautiful scene, of course, you know. It's fucking Palpatine, but it just it just the 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 mostly muted colors and then the two imperial guards sticking out like uh I immediately all, all I can think of is that robot chicken skit where uh, they uh, and Palpatine calls him, "Hey Crayola, with your staff of raw." Um, <laughs> I um, which reminds me, I probably should rewatch those again. But um, anyways, that was my discussion and review of the first three episodes of Bad Batch. Now. With season three online, I'm going to try my best to continue the uh, Ahsoka review. I'm going to try and jump on and record that when I can. Like I said, it just got a lot going on with work at the moment. I still don't know which location, if I'm staying where I'm at, or they're going to move me again in a few weeks. So I've kind of halted my reading for briefly, but... We are definitely going to stay on target with Bad Batch Review as we follow through with Season 3. I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks to secure my GalaxyCon tickets. I've been patiently holding off on that because, like I said, I don't know what's going on with work yet and whether or not what days I'm going to get off to be able to go. But I definitely am planning on getting Palpatine. I did make one single purchase and I do want to shout out to SCA Darts on Instagram. And I think it's the same username on Twitter, a.k.a. X. He's done a lot of beautiful pop culture where you take various characters from movies and books and superimpose them into works of art. 
I did acquire one of his Palpatine pieces to get Ian to sign in a few weeks. Of course, I'm going to actually give Ian one of these. I am very much looking forward to just, I can't wait. It's just, it, I'm going to have to, in, in like three, four weeks, it's going to be an amazing episode. I look forward to hopefully jumping on and recording that. And just sharing in the adventures of meeting the man himself. But I want to thank him for his phenomenal work. I want to also again thank everybody who joined me through Star Wars Podcast Day. I just, I've had a blast continuing this podcast the last few years and completely owning this platform and sharing with you guys just journey through our favorite galaxy far, far away. Please do not forget to like, comment, and subscribe where you are listening to this podcast. And you can also find me on X under Southpaw X Sith. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Holly Garland. Now, those pages are a little bit more private, so I will caution you that if you do add or find me on there, please send me a message letting me know, hey, I listen to your podcast, tend to be very protective of my personal space on those, so just please, again, if you find me or add me on those, just shoot me a message and let me know. Thank you all again, whether you're first-time listeners or you've been around the block with me for quite a while. Thank you to each of you for supporting my little One Sith Lord Rand podcast. Always, always, always appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. Thank you, and until next time, my friends, may the Force be with you.